now in good company. And that's what helped me get, you know, 26 scholarship offers by the end of my junior year. So many that I had to stop taking them. I was like, all right, cool. I can't, like, I got to focus. I was graduating early and I had a season coming up. So I had to start making my cuts then and um, kind of, I guess I can leave it right there, right? What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Good Company. I'm your host, J.R. Maffey, with my co-host, Stephen Hakes. Today on the show, DJ Davis, Director of Player Development for UCLA Football, and it is a treat, so please listen up. And if you have anybody that you know who's a young cat out there working their butt off this summer or this year to get into NCAA athletics, send this over to them, man, because DJ is just a well of knowledge uh, for these young cats um, and just could could really give them some keys on how to work towards what they want. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, please subscribe, leave some comments. You are now in good company. Namaste on your voice now, dude. What's up with that? Any say yoga? Yeah, yoga. A whole bunch of yoga. Uh, man, you just try to. It catches people off guard. Uh, you got to do something different. Yeah. Um, not that it's not me, but it is totally me. And then when people hear what I'm talking to, it's funny. Uh, I take yoga uh, down here in you know Santa Monica area, Venice area, and uh, I went to a class one time. I had just like been here for a couple weeks. And I was like, all right, cool, I'm going to get back into yoga, registered at this class, went into class, did this yoga class. You know, anybody that does yoga knows it's pretty hard, especially after you've been out of it for a while. Um, I go in there, I do the class, and then the class, everybody's sweaty, leaving, stuff like that. Um, we're out in the lobby, this girl comes up to me, she's like, I saw you when you first walked into class, and I was like, oh, this is going to be so funny watching them struggle. And she was like, you did so great. I'm like, yeah, I've been doing this for eight years, girl. Like, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, that's the connotation around it. Even though, like, my first time going into a yoga class, period, I'm looking around, I'm like, this dude's 150. She's, I'm about to kill these people. Yeah. And I start five minutes into it. I'm like, is it done yet? I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's an hour. I'm not going to get through this. And so it's a different type of strength training. It's yeah. a, it's more mental. It's more you know you you versus yourself. Right. Um, and I've really got I started doing that uh, after my first year in the NFL. I started after I tore my ACL in college, but I really got serious mm. after my first year in the NFL, and it's really changed my outlook on life. And it's kind of matched up with who I am as a person as well. That's cool, man. So you do um, you do this habitually? Then I mean, you're you're in the studio. How many times a week? I try to go three times a week. If I make it three, four times a week, it's great. Um, I try to balance that out with lifting weights, running, all that stuff. Um, it gets too monotonous being in the gym, being in the weight room, power cleans, benching, squatting, treadmill, Stairmaster. Bro, I hear you. And so, um, but I've never been, ever since I was eight, I was never able to touch my toes. And I just started to be able to touch my toes when I was about 21, 22. Like, straight leg touch toes. <laughs> I still can't touch my toes, man. <laughs> that's exactly why I need to get into yoga, and I've been saying it for years. Oh, man, that's so cool. Yeah, what what kind of yoga do you do, man? Is it vinyasa, yin? Do you switch it up? I switch it up, but I got to do hot yoga. So it has to be in a heated studio. That's where I feel like I get the most work. Um, you limber that, up, too. That's, that's where I feel like it <laughs> kicks my butt. 
Um, and, you know, just being a football player, just having that competitive edge in you, like sometimes if you're not sweating or if you get out of there, you hate to get out of a workout and be like, you know, I'm not one of those people that be like, yeah, I worked out today. I did, you know, two jumping jacks, a couple burpees. Like I'm the type yeah, yeah. if I'm going to work out, I'm going to work out. And I know every time I go to hot yoga, I'm going to sweat. Um, depending on who the teacher is, you know, some classes are better than others. But I just know once I leave there, there's no way that I'm going to be like, oh, man, I didn't really get a good workout today. Mm. So you said you started doing it after you tore your ACL in, uh, in college. Correct. And, and you, you do it while you were in the NFL or was it after when you picked it back up? Uh, it was while I was in the NFL. So after that first year, um, I figured, you know, to help my route running and things like that, I played wide receiver. Um, just need to get my hips more limber, uh, my quads, hamstrings a little bit more loose. Um, so back in Denver, I started going to this place that I always saw that was in a place called Cherry Creek. It's a couple, you know, 15 minutes away from me. Um, and I actually thought I was going to invest in it because, you know, there's there's other mm. yoga places. I won't say their names and stuff like that, where it's just kind of <laughs> just mainstream. Uh, but I wanted to get into something that was really like, hey, I go to class. I know my teacher. Um, it's different types of classes, you know, it's just, it's people, it's, it's a cult a little bit. Yeah. Um, but just so like, I'm like, Hey, I'm invested in this. It was a, uh, I was going to a five, I think a 5 a.m. yoga class on Fridays. And just a matter of when you get out of there, man, like I'm ready to take on the day. I'm like, what else is next? What do we got? Um, and that's, you know, my, my day started, I feel good by 6 a.m. And, and that's real rare. Oh, yeah. these days. oh man, the morning. So you do it in the morning. then? I try to now just depends on work. I can cut out of work and get there early and do mm. things. But um, if I have my choice, just like working out, I like to do it in the morning. Yeah. And that kind of helped us in college with us practicing right. in the morning stuff, getting it out of the way. Um, I'm one of those people. If I wait to the afternoon to work yeah. out, I might not get there. Bro, it, so. feels, so good. <laughs> it feels so good when it's 8 a.m. and you're already conquered massive things like definitely. that you know what i mean so, definitely well before we so, get oh, go ahead, i wanted i wanted one more question though because you kind of talked about the stigma of you know people being shocked that you can do yoga mm -hmm. in a proficient manner and so what i mean is that was that strange in the nfl do a lot of guys do that did they make fun of you did they know you did it you know uh i'm not sure who knew i did it or not actually my, my good friend julio julio jones uh with the atlanta falcons he does it and we talked about it a heard of bit. him <laughs> um it's so much it, now people are are doing a lot of different things you know everybody's you know i'm gonna say getting away from weights but they're trying to find something else to give them an edge something different um, you know, we've been lifting, we've been benching ever since, you know, probably late middle school, early high school. And now people are realizing like, hey, it's not about me being able to go out there and lift so much weight. It's about me being able to get through a whole season and uh, doing things like yoga, Pilates, like that challenges different muscles that works different muscles. Um, and so through that process, you're, you know, like I said, you go in there and I'm dying and I'm like, I've never worked this muscle before. I don't even know what this muscle right here is right. like. And so that's the, the thing of it. You're still learning more about your body because you're doing something that you haven't spent much time doing. So um, I think a lot more people are getting over to those yoga, Pilates, boxing, um, MMA type stuff, like just different forms of of building up your uh, your kind of a system. Uh, to be able to get through, like, you know, a, a fall camp, a training camp, a whole season, playoffs, all that kind of stuff. That's cool. It's good to know. I, I, I feel like I've seen kind of an awakening to where people are becoming more open to different things. Mm -hmm. But it's nice to know they can see past that. And, you know, people have the, the comfortable, I guess they feel comfortable enough oh, to yeah. go venture out and find things that work, mm -hmm. no matter what stigma is attached to them. So yeah. that's cool. I'm glad yeah. to hear it. Yeah. Since we're on this vein, I'll ask you this though: uh, how 
how much of learning something new was a part of it? Like how much of uh, kind of trying to master something that you never really were comfortable with was was a part of that? Like was that a part of the experience at all for you? I wouldn't, at first it wasn't. When I first started doing I said, hey, well just let me figure out how I can get a little bit more limber. Mm -hmm. um, and plus, you know, when you're in college, you can get you can take electives. So it's like, OK, cool. I'll just, you know, take this yoga class and get two credits and be fine. Um, and then it's funny because uh, Lavage A2A LT took it with me. And so we're Lavage A2A used to play receiver at me at Oregon. He's about six, six. Yeah. And so you got me at six, two, him at six, six. And we're in this partner yoga class <laughs> where we have to do poses <laughs> and positions with our partner. And he was my partner. So uh, a lot of that stuff looked a little weird, looked a little strange with <laughs> us being so big. Um, but it was just, man, it was just trying to. It was trying to help me better myself. I wanted to come back. I was coming back off a knee injury. I wanted to be able to be like, okay, cool. That's behind me. Now I'm good. Um, and ended up taking a liking to it. And so mm. um, for me, you know, it was just one of those things that, you know, anything you get into this new year, a little bit nervous about it. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, that's the age where you're still trying to figure out stuff anyway. So I'm like, what the hell? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Okay, cool. Well, before we get any deeper, man, I mean, um, for our listeners – um, we want to know who DJ Davis is. So could you take us through, uh, like maybe start where you grew up and how you grew up and then, okay. you know, take us through where we met through college and we'll go from there. Okay. Bet. It'll probably yeah. take about two hours. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, grew up in Denver, Colorado, uh, got two brothers, two sisters. Uh, I'm the second youngest. So I got a little brother that's younger than me. Uh, been playing football all my life. Uh, grew up in Montbello, uh, which is kind of a, a smaller suburb or urban suburb in Denver, Colorado. Mm. Uh, the majority uh, black and Mexican there, black and Latino. Um, been playing football since I was eight. Uh, played baseball before that. Um, mom didn't want me playing football. She was always afraid I was going to get hurt. So when I went to my baseball coach, he actually coached football as well. Um, so when I told him this, he's like, oh, no, we got to talk to her. So uh, he pulled her aside one day. He said, ma'am, I really think your son's going to be really good in football. He's real good in baseball. We just want to get him out there and see what he can do. Um, and she was like, I, you know, I understand all that. I'm just afraid that he's going to get hurt. And I was a big, big kid, like big, big kid. I had hair under my arms by like age 9, 10, like on my legs, everything. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, he, Testosterone. <laughs> and so my mom told him, or he told my mom this, my mom told him that. He looked back at her. He said, ma'am. I don't think you have to be worried about anybody hurting him. I think you have to be worried about your son hurting some other people. <laughs> and so after that, she's kind of sold on that a little bit. Um, wouldn't played football when for the uh, AYL Falcons for the Montbello Falcons. Um, had a lot of great young talent on there. Um, we were so talented, and there were so many people coming out for the teams that each level we kind of had like two or three teams. Like you know, we had a Falcon Gray, Falcon Black, Falcon Blue, and so you had a lot of your friends that you went to school with, mm. and you know that might have not played on your team, but they played on another rival team. But you guys are in the same age group, so every year for the championship game, it was Falcon Gray versus Falcon Blue, or mm. Falcon Falcon Green versus Falcon Yellow. Like it was always just something like that, and that's how much talent we had. Um, so just played played running back uh, for most of those years growing up. Uh, went to the local high school, which is Montbello High School. Um, has a great track um, lineage there. Um, won a lot of state championships in track, 4x1, four 4x4, one, four four, 100 champions, 200 champions, a whole bunch of stuff like that. Um, never really excelled in football. Um, my freshman year, going into – well, before my freshman year, uh, they were getting a new coach. He used to coach up at CU. His name is Oliver Lucas. Um, very good coach. Um, came down, changed our program. 
Um, we we're always very talented, as you guys know. Like in in urban areas, there's always great talent there. Mm. Just naturally, there's great talent there. Um, the thing is, you have people that you know get sidetracked, whether it be with you know things that are going on the street, um, whether it be their grades aren't very good, um, and they just kind of end up getting lost in the shuffle. Yeah. Um, and that was my biggest thing when I went to school. I was like. I saw all this talent. My sister went there. Both my older sisters went there. My older brother went there. My younger brother went there. So we all went to that school. And I used to go to the games and stuff before I went there because my sister was a part of that. And I just saw all this talent out there. And, you know, we'd you know, get knocked out of the first round of playoffs or – uh, we just, you know, we'd have a whatever how many games we played, you know, five and five season, or you know, not reach our full potential. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the biggest things I was afraid of when I went to co- or went to high school, uh, I knew I was good, and I was like, you know what, um, my biggest thing was I got to get out of high school and get to college. Like that's where I see most people not making it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't really worried about college and NFL. I was like, oh yeah, the hard part is you know high school to college, getting these guys to notice yeah. you. Um, and I was in the, I ended up being very good. I played uh, quarterback and running back my freshman year. Um, then moved up. Uh, once I started my sophomore year, I started playing wide receiver. Um, that's just the way it was. I had a really good receivers coach. His name was Palika Houston. He had a he has a real good family lineage as far as football goes, and he kind of just took me under his wing. So we're on the weekends, you know, when everybody else is watching cartoons and eating cereal or sleeping in, uh, we're jumping, you know, jumping fences to other local high schools that had a better field than ours. Like you know, we had the the shitty field. We had the field yeah. that you know you're running and dust is kicking up. And you <laughs> it's, all, it's more dirt than grass. <laughs> and and you don't want to get tackled because you're like, oh man, it looks like a whole arm burn right there um and so you know we're going to different neighborhoods and we're jumping fences and talking to security guards and and doing all that stuff just to work out for an hour or two um and that's what my saturdays and sundays were like during the off season and and that's kind of when i knew um i wanted to be great because he was like hey what are you doing this weekend i'm like you know nothing really like okay you want to go throw and, you know, part of me sometimes is like, man, it's Saturday. I kind of want to chill. <laughs> um, but, you know, I would try to make excuses sometimes. I don't know if he knows this. I'm like, yeah, I can probably go, you know, but I, my parents working. They can't drop me off. Like, I'll come pick you up. So, Damn. you know, <laughs> and so, you know, that's the kind of bond that we created where, you know, and that's why I'm not going to say I feel sorry for everyone, but I had somebody that was able to, that wanted to invest in me. And that saw, you know, not that he saw, hey, I think this guy's going to play in the NFL one day and I want to make sure I help him get there. He was like, no, he he wants to help me right now um, because he thinks I can be a great player. And, you know, he has the time. I have the time. He has the brain about football. He has what he needs to do. And so, um, you know, and I, and I guess that's why I try to be that now for so many people because he believed in me. He took me to the side. He help me get to other places, jump fences, go to other schools, things like that. And, you know, and after that, after we'd work out, he, he'd take me back to his house. I'd chill with his family, watch a couple games on TV, barbecue. You know, so we're really good. Like, that's family now. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. family. And, that's and, awesome. and that doesn't happen in a lot of situations. But I had someone that was, you know, because if it wasn't him that took me to these places, I'd probably still go to the field on the weekend. But – I get this work done by myself, but how much stuff can you do by yourself? Yeah. Like, he was my quarterback. He'd throw the ball to me. Oh, like, he added know. a whole other level <laughs> yeah, to it. Yeah, yeah. And so from that from that perspective, like, we had some people that came and worked out with us once. I would say once or twice, but they never made it to twice. They yeah. would come work out, and they'd be like, all right, man, well, all right, next time let me know. And then you let them know next time, oh, man, I got to watch my baby sister. No, no, no down in them or anything. They probably did, but, like, there was nobody that worked out with us more than once. 
And so mm. it was just me and him out there going at it. Mm. And that's what helped me get, you know, 26 scholarship offers by the end of my junior year. Damn. So many that I had to wow. stop taking them. I was like, all right, cool. I can't, like, I got to focus. I was graduating early and I had a season coming up. So I had to start making my cuts then and, um, and kind of, guess i can leave it right there right yeah man i mean damn so 26 offers that's that's 26 it's that worth though man it is it is and that's you know uh, not that i i didn't set out to get 26 but i set out to make sure that that like i said that that wasn't the determining or the deciding factor between that and then i handled business in the classroom had a 4.0 gpa so i wanted to make sure if i didn't go to college it was because I wasn't good enough to go to college or something like that. I didn't want it to be like, oh, man, if your grades were a little better yeah. or if you're a little bigger or stronger, like I wanted to make sure I covered all the bases. That's awesome, man. So this, uh, so Coach, uh, what was his name, Houston? Coach Houston, Palika Houston, correct. Coach Houston. So he was, he was a big inspiration to, I'm, I'm assuming, what you do now, which is Director of Player Development at UCLA Football. Correct. So he's, so that's that's where a lot of that inspiration comes from. It does a little bit. Um, he does his own. He's in, he's in education. He's in the education field right mm -hmm. now, and he's been in there, so he's making strides there. Mm -hmm. um, but I, honestly, if I had to say the reason why I'm helping kids and stuff now is probably because James Harris, uh, our director of player development, when we were in school. Yeah, um, so that's that was going to be my next okay. question because I know we we got into Oregon. Well, you got in there maybe four years, three, four years before at I was there. At least three. Yeah, yeah at, at least three. three. And uh, so James Harris was the director of player development there. And uh, I was curious, man, what was your relationship with him? Uh, our relationship was good. And this is the thing that I try to tell people, like, um, when they ask about him, like, and it's funny because I even messed up and say he was our director of player development, but that wasn't his title. His title was nutritionist. Okay, so we talked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's what I remember. Yeah, so me and Steve were like, yo, I was like, yo, man, I think I think he does what James used to do at Oregon. And then Steve was like, dude, wasn't he just a nutritionist? <laughs> I was like, I, I don't know. But he developed into a certain role for Chip, right? Yeah. And, and we'll talk about the culture that he created there. But like, uh, so when we were there, he was definitely a nutritionist. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then it graduated into something more. Yeah, and I, I want to say the titles never switched or anything like that. He just did the stuff. Like yeah. He was just a guy that was, hey, we got this thing going on. Hey, we got this community service here. And it was never like, hey, this is the director of player development. It was just like, hey, this is James, and he knows everything else there is to know about knowing anything. So <laughs> just follow him if you have a question. <laughs> yeah. um, but our relationship was awesome. Um, I wasn't a guy that was in trouble a lot. I got in trouble once or twice, you know, maybe missed a lift or something like that. Mm. Um, but James is what you aim to be as far as being young um, for me he was a young black man uh, successful um, had his graduate degree or had his degree maybe his degree and his graduate degree from Nebraska and Arizona State um, comes to Oregon he's doing all that nutrition stuff and you just always saw him busy mm -hmm. and um, anytime he was in his office door was open so you can go in there and James was relatively young I'm not sure how old he was around that time maybe late 20s or early 30s yeah. um, but you can go in his office and you can mess with him you can talk stuff to him um, and then you can also double back and you know I had a family member pass away I'm feeling a little sad and he can talk to you about it mm -hmm. um, but also he was just that guy that was always around um, I know people would you know try to tackle him or you know you can kind <laughs> of rough house and play with him a little bit and at the same time he can tell you like hey calm down it's not time to play and you chill out and you're yeah. like, okay and you respected him so um, just just somebody that was around the building that you knew was an authoritative figure but he never threw his weight around like you guys need to do what I say. You guys need to do this and do that. He was always a person you can go to for life advice, for school advice, girlfriend, family, football. Um, and he kind of keep it real with you in that respect. So uh, f 
I just try to be as close to that. And if I can, and I tell you, if I can be half of what James was for me and for us while I was in school, I'd be okay. That's cool, man. So how do you how do you go or how did you start going about trying to be more like James? Did you ask him to mentor you on stuff? Was there certain qualities or characteristics you tried to develop or what was the step in becoming just a little bit more like James? Uh, man, I just I'm a I'm a real observant person, so I just watch, you know, and 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 I'm a real reserved person. So for me even being on this with you guys like for those listening or those that get a listen, like you'll hear me talk more on this. And if you ever meet me in real life, you probably won't even hear me talk a quarter of what I'm talking right now um, because I just watch. And uh, and 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 I feel like James does that a lot. Um, one thing I remember him telling me um, or he told somebody, I think somebody asked him, like, if you they said, uh, who on the team would you say you were a lot like when you were in, when you were our age or around that age? And he's like, probably true. And so I took, you know, you could take that one or two ways, like, you know, (laughs) and, uh, but I took it kind of as like, okay, well, you know, I'm probably doing the right thing. I'm not in trouble a lot. I'm where I'm, I'm at where I'm supposed to be. Um, and also he sees a different, you know, he's in the, having the conversations upstairs as far as what we're doing. But I took that as like, you know, okay, I'm doing, I'm doing things the right way. I'm, I'm taking care of business in the classroom, not to say I'm the best player on this team, uh, but I definitely put my best foot forward anytime I get a chance. Um, if I need to, catch 10 balls for us to win a game cool if I don't need to catch anything for us to win a game I'm cool um just being the the consummate uh teammate that you can be and I hope that's what he saw in me I hope that's what he said by that um but it was just like because if he said I don't know because there's other people if he said oh I'm like this guy you know that guy is just always in trouble hard-headed this that you'd be like okay so you were you know you were a little bit okay you're going through some things in, yeah, in, yeah. High school, in, in college um, but for him to say me and I knew I was kind of on the right track as far as in life I'll, I, I really liked that and I really enjoyed that nice so, that's cool uh, so right now as as director of player development with UCLA football how does how does your role like how's your role defined right now like what do you what are your main responsibilities out there man man jack of all trades um and this is a little spiel i tell everybody they say okay you know everybody here's director of player development and they're like okay cool uh what's that <laughs> um man and it's no problem and i'm like okay you know uh, i said well you know i handle a lot of things for them off the field as far as the student athletes i handle resumes cover letters internships externships community service job shadowing family problems girlfriend problems anything under that umbrella (laughs) um and we just have a good system we have a good system and we have a kind of a good um a good group as far as upstairs the guys that take care of the players off the field our director of football operations rick and then our chief of staff bryce um the community is communication is key and i'm not going to have the answer to everything Mm -hmm. uh but you know rick is real good at the logistics stuff dorm room problems uh bills uh, university bills um, just all that kind of stuff. And we kind of just work together to, to figure it out. Um, I, the way I like to be, I just want to be that link between the players and the coaches, you know, mm-hmm. um, whether it's, you know, Hey, I had a family member pass away. Okay, cool. Let me, you feel comfortable talking to your coach. You want me to talk to him? You want me to tell him? You want me to tell coach Kelly? You want me to tell Bryce? Mm-hmm. Um, Hey, I'm not happy with, you know, the playing time I'm getting. Okay, let's sit down and have a conversation about mm-hmm. that. Um, and it's just that, that voice where, you know, a lot of stuff they're going to go through. I've been through. Right. Um, and, you know, like I said, I, I got I tore my ACL after my very first start in college, like after all this hard work I did to have yeah. it wiped out after my very first start and start over was was something that, you know, helped me get to where I'm at today. 
because it let me know like, hey, you know, I had a minor setback. Other people be like, oh, man, I'd, you know, I'd hang him up after that or I'd be done. Um, but after that, my goal was just to come back and play. Yeah. And so, um, you know, stepping in, playing this game of football, you're going to get hurt at some point. You just hope it's not that severe. Um, but at the same time, like, that's something we don't have is that kind of support system. Um, there's no one. There's there. There's people there, you know, when you have a little injury, people to tape you up, you know, people to help you with school. You got tutors, you got this, you got that. Uh, but when you got injured, there's kind of, you know, you get alienated a little bit, mm-hmm. you know. And it just has some, – some teams do it a little worse than others. But um, just naturally, if you get hurt, seriously, like, your whole life changes. You don't have to go to practice anymore. Right. You don't have to be in the meetings. Like, yeah. your whole life changes. And you, and you kind of become – a student for a certain amount of time um and then also uh with being a student you don't have all this other stuff to do so then while all your friends who are most likely on the football team they're at practice they're at meetings and then you kind of end up by yourself um so you don't kind of have that person that's checking on you and so that's the players are my number one responsibility Mm. and uh and whatever i'm doing i'm going to make sure that they're good and if they're not good we're going to try to figure out how to get them good Mm. um but just having that person that throws somebody a book and says hey read this and you know let's have a discussion about it Mm. um that's probably one of the biggest things I do is is the amount of books I have and that I've read. Um, I know to give somebody something um, and say, hey, read this or read a couple chapters and let me know what you think. Yeah. Um, because I didn't start reading, like reading, reading until I was about 21, 22. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's done wonders for me. So uh, just looking after the players is my number one objective. Um, but whatever happens and whatever falls under that umbrella about taking care of them off the field, that's what I'm about. Dope, man. That's dope. So do you do you feel like you have to reach out often, especially those players who get injured? Maybe I mean, do they often alienate themselves? Have you created an environment where they seek you out? You know, uh, what do you feel like you're do you feel like you have to reach out most of the time? Uh, yeah, a lot of times I do. Um, and that's just natural. You know, when you you have we had a player, we had a player that was going into a senior year and, you know, towards ACL and, you know, ended up redshirting this year and will come back next year. So but, you know, in your mind, you're like, man, I just got this year and I'm out of here. Cool. Then you tear ACL and you're like, dang, I'm here for another year. And that's after me getting back 100 percent healthy and maybe a spot I won't have when I come back. Um, so it's it's really a whirlwind of trying to get your emotions together. Um, so I, everything happens, you know, when it's time. Um, but I just hope that over time I've built built up that trust with them to the point where, you know, they'll come seek me out. Um, but everybody's different. Um, there's some people who are like, man, Drew's cool. Let me, I'm going to go talk to him. And there's other people like, man, I kind of don't really trust Drew. He kind of doesn't really work for us. And he kind of works for them. Up to the, so, you know, it's, it's natural. It's natural. They're trying to figure everything out. Um, but... I just hope that we've built an environment or we're building an environment where, you know, I go down there in the training room, you know, after practice or before practice and see who's there, see who's healthy, um, see how they're doing on rehab, ask them, how does your knee feel? How does this feel? How does that feel? Um, and have those conversations with them. You know, the trainers have them with them, and, you know, the coach will ask them and whatnot. But I hope that you feel like I'm naturally and, and authentically invested and how you're doing. Like, I have no, do I want you to play football? Yes, I do want you to play football. Do I want you to be able to play with your kids one day? Yes, I definitely want you to be able to play with your kids one day. And so, um, and that's what was one of the things that was important to me. Like, I want to make sure that I'm able to run around in my backyard with my nieces, nephews, my kids when I have them. Um, And so hopefully they know that I'm worried about them. Like, cool, if you're not able to play football another day in your life, that's fine. You still have my number. You can still call me at any time. 
Um, and that's one of the biggest things I would say is, you know, when they go through injuries or when they're thinking about transferring, um, all that stuff is real life stuff. And, and, you know, some of them have never been through it before. Um, and so they think it's the end of the world for people that have been playing football since they were eight or nine or 10 years old. Um, and so that could be very scary. So uh, my whole thing is just to get in there, uh, make sure they're comfortable um, with whatever decision they're going to make, um, letting them know like, hey, it's a torn ACL. Cool. It'll mend up. It'll be fine. Will you be the same player? We don't know. Uh, but you have control <laughs> over that through this rehab process and everything you're doing in here. That's cool. <clears throat> What's your favorite? That's... Sorry, go ahead. Well I, I, well, I think we'll come back to the book in a second. I want to get on the screen a little more because <laughs> you're kind of going, I mean, you're kind of building what seems like your MO for your job. But I want to know, do you have like a concise mission statement that you try to let govern you in, in your job in player development? Mm, that's tough. That's tough. That's tough. I have a tattoo. Um, and... I got it a little while ago and I caught myself always saying this, but it's, it's life is good. And, uh, it's not a mission statement or anything like that, but oftentimes we get so caught up in what we don't have, the things that we're not doing, the money we don't have yet, um, that we miss out on everything that's around us. And, uh, every day I go into work, um, I'm one of those people that tells them <laughs> the players are walking in with eye boogers and everything, wiping their eyes and stuff. <laughs> and I'm the one, that, I hope I'm one of the first people that tells them good morning or I make sure I speak to them and I make sure they speak back. Um, we're very lucky. Um, everybody's worked really hard to get where they're at. They didn't just have a scholarship appear out of midair. Um, but the things we complain about sometimes aren't things we should be complaining about. And, and I try to carry that with me every day. And so, you know, when people ask me how I'm doing today, I usually don't say good. I say, I try to choose a different word every couple of times. I'm excellent, I'm superb, I'm fantastic. Um, and I was dating this one girl one time and uh, we're talking and every day she was asking me, how was your day? And I would say something along the lines of this. And she later down the road told me like, man, I didn't, you used to make me so mad. I'm like, why? She's like, because every time I asked you how your day was, like you would say awesome, fantastic. It was, it was, you know, like no other. And I was like, is this his job really that good? Like, what is, why is he acting like, like, why is he saying all this stuff all the time? Um, because I get to do exactly what I want to do. And, and, and coaches talk to us about this all the time, but we can depict how we can control how we react to our day. You know, and a lot of people forget that, you know, if you ran out of gas on the side of the road, got in a car accident, 10 minutes late to work, they didn't make your right mocha chai latte at <laughs> Starbucks. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the stuff we complain about really isn't that bad, you know. And so I try to just portray that onto them. Um, you know, I would I tell them if I was having a bad day or stuff like that. But the majority of the time. Being, being being able to be around football, being able to have a scholarship. Like, and I think this whole kind of mindset changed after I tore my ACL in college a little bit. Um, I set a goal, and I'm sorry, I'm hopping around here. No, no, it's <laughs> no, it's perfect. But once I tore my ACL, like I was telling him, I was like, man, all I want to do is be able to get there and finish out my career, and, and that's it, and I'm good. Um, my senior year um, – I made a kind of a goal to myself. You know, some people make a goal. I want to have a thousand yards receiving, you know, I want to have 20 touchdowns. I want to make sure I want a pack 12 championship. My goal, my senior year was to not miss a practice. That's what my goal was. Um, I know what it's like to not be able to practice. Like mm -hmm. I know what that's like. It sucks. It's shitty. 
Um, and so I said, man, if there's any way, and that was summer workouts that was, that was practices through the season. That was everything. And I would like to tell you, I accomplished that goal, but I missed one practice. Mm. And that one practice I missed was because I got strep throat right before the Thanksgiving game against Arizona. And I missed one practice and then came back the next day and we were in helmets. Like that was my goal Uh, for strep throat. That's pretty good. And so, you know, like, I mean, to come back that quick. I, I I agree, and but my whole th- I was like, man, I was almost there, and 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 bless the training staff and and myself for making sure my body was good. Yeah. But like, you know, it's not often that you're going to be able to go through a whole season and not miss a practice and not have a major injury. I had a couple injuries that year, but nothing too drastic. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, if that takes, I hope that takes people into my mind at the time and my mind now. Like, I want to get the most out of everything that I can possibly get. Right. You know, um, I wake up six days a week at 4.30, 4.45. Most days I'm going in there, I'm working out in the gym, or I'm going to yoga or something like that, but I'm always usually up at 4.30, 4.45. day I'll let myself sleep in until, until 8. Let that set in. <laughs> <That's for me>. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let myself sleep in until 8 because you can get so much done in the morning, but also, man, I've had things taken away from me, and I've been blessed from what I've had that I want to maximize my time, my day, and everything I have in front of me. So, um, And it's just it started with that ACL injury, and then after that, like I said, it started looking around and seeing what people complain about and what time people go out and party. I go out and party every once in a while, and that alarm still goes off at 4.30, 4.45, and I still wake up. Yep. Um, but, you know, like we got to start maximizing what we get. We got to start maximizing these 24 hours a day we get. Because if somebody told you you only got about 48 hours left to live or whatever it might be, you would probably stay up for that 48 hours and do everything that you wanted to do. Yeah. Um, but we need to have that sense of urgency all the time, especially when we talk about we want to be great, especially when we talk about we want to own a business, especially when we talk about, you know, I want to be the best dad, the best brother, the best husband, all that kind of stuff I can be. we got to start maximizing our time and not taking our time for granted. That's awesome, man. Amen. I I I think you answered a lot of questions that I was kind of wondering. Is like, is this guy just naturally positive, optimistic? Is this guy, you know, like what is that why, or is it just because you're lucky with your job? You know, I think a lot of people jump to those conclusions, but I, I mean, the way that you talked about it wasn't win Pac-10 championship or go to the Rose Bowl. It was like don't miss a practice, mm-hmm. and so I, I think. You cross your T's, dot your I's, and make sure to to cover the fundamental basics that keep you focused on the main things, right? So that you can do those great things. So I, I think that's awesome, man. Hey, does uh, does Chip still hit him with the line? Uh, you take care of the little things, the big things, to take care of themselves. A little bit. Yeah. He's he's got so many lines. That it's not even funny. <laughs> yeah. you know? Man, that man has so many lines, man. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you because. This is something Steve and I talk about a lot is um, these like transition periods that happen that you get uh, confronted with in life. Right. Mm -hmm. So that ACL Mm -hmm. injury for you is something that seems to be pinnacle Mm -hmm. and how you change your mindset and things. And Mm -hmm. um, I was wondering with the kids, man, with the guys on the team, uh, when they hit adversity, is is that one of. uh, is that a, do you get that opportunity a lot to, to, to bring them through and, and kind of teach them about, you know, the mindset that you've, I guess, procured over these years? 
I do, and uh, it's a different generation, and I don't say that to bash them. I don't say that, you know, because there's people that are 10 years older than us talking about, man, when you guys are young, you yeah. guys didn't know anything, right. and that's mm-hmm. just the way it's going to go. Um, I'm reading this book right now called The Gift of Failure. Um, I wish I can get you guys an author. Um, I think it's Andrea something, um, and it talks about how we're, you know, we're, we set people, we're setting the younger generation up for when things don't happen for them, um, how they're not going through adversity right now so when they do or when you kind of let them go when you let them out of the house or the nest that not that they fall flat on their face but they're more likely um that when they run into some hard things or some things that are challenging they're like nope i'm good this ain't for me i'm all right Mm. um and so with a lot of the stuff we have and a lot of the rules and how the ncaa is now you know the transfer rule and stuff like that it's a lot more enticing for people um, and I mean that as far as like, hey, I'm second string here. I'm not playing. I'll just go somewhere else and I'll be able to play. Run away from adversity, right? Yeah, run away from adversity, from challenge, from competition. Um, and there's certain situations, and I and I want to make sure I say this, where there's certain situations, yeah, you should probably go somewhere else, you know, with, if it's not right or if you've tried for mm-hmm. two years or something like that. Um, but there's just so much going on now with college football and sports to the point where um, people can kind of, hop around and stuff like that and the, and the way I look at it the way I try to tell them is okay you know you were second string here and you want to go to another school and play or you think you're going to another school and start well then how do you think the person that's second string at that school that you're going to sit behind and beat out you know how do you think they feel you know because we're all you know I forgot Freud or somebody was talking about id the id the ego the super ego all yeah, that stuff you yep. know and we only really nice. see ourselves <laughs> in our situation and we're just like man I'm gonna go to somewhere else and I'm gonna play and that stuff is going all around and so you know when I meet these guys and I talk to these guys about if it's a situation like that I really ask them I say hey have you done everything you could possibly do to play mm-hmm. everything have you been to every workout have you went 100% every rep and you ask them those questions and, you know, a couple of them could be like, yeah. And then as you start asking more questions, it kind of dies down and they're kind of like, man, I really haven't done everything I can do to make sure that I don't have this spot or that I have this spot. And you just try to lay it out for them because I'm like, the grass isn't, of, uh, grass isn't always greener. Mm-hmm. It isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you don't want to be one of those people that transfers and then transfers again and then transfers again. Because at some point you have to look at yourself. Um, but like I said, there's certain instances, certain situations where you're like, okay, cool. I understand, man. You've been here three years. You haven't played. You did this. Okay, cool. You make the best. I'm always going to tell them make the best, make your decision, but we're just going to sit down here. We're going to look at the facts and we're going to look at what's happening. Right. We're going to look at why you aren't playing or we're going to look at, you know, how the person in front of you, are they productive? Are they better than you? Um, and so just that whole mode of when they go through kind of that adversity stage and they come through obstacles, um, do you see that a lot of these guys, when you sit them down and you talk to them like real rational like this, is this the first time that they're hearing these things? Like, because I'd imagine, and I know we both went through this, is when you're in high school, man, you're a big fish mm-hmm. in, a, in a little pond. Everybody's yeah. telling you how great you are yeah. and how fantastic you are. Mm-hmm. And your mom loves you so much, right? You know what I mean? So she's telling you everything. Yep. But so for what, what's their reaction when you first hit them with the, with the truth, man, with, with just reality? A lot of them are thinking, um, and you know, there's some people who I notice this a lot. Sometimes you're talking to them and they hear you, but they're not listening. Yeah. And so you have to really slow it down for them. you be like, hey, have you missed a workout? Yeah, but you know, that was discretionary and we didn't really need to be. 
I like, and then, then then you try to go back to that. Well, like, what is your what is your? I always go back. What is your goal? What is what do you want to accomplish? Right. What do you want to accomplish this year, this season? Like, what was your what did you want to accomplish when you first came to college? Did you want to make sure you started and have a thousand yards, or did you want to make sure you played? Like, mm-hmm. and then once you start to break that down, you can really figure and you can kind of help direct them back to be like, hey, you said the biggest thing for you when you came out of high school was you wanted to play Division One college football, and you're here. Okay, now we need to set another goal. We need to make sure that like, how can we how can we set some parameters for you to have sub things that you meet to get you to that goal? Because mm. a lot of times a person is just four string and they're like, "Hey, man, I want to I want to have a thousand yard season." Okay, well, you actually have to play first. Like, you know, let's start <laughs> let's start by figuring out how we can get on the field. You yeah. know, what do you do? What do you what do you do really well? What do you bring to the table? Um, and then you start working up off that. But um, I don't blame them for all of that. You know, sometimes as, as coaches and, you know, we tell people, hey, you come here and you can play, you can start. Right. And, you know, and that doesn't, you know, I graduated high school early. I came to college in, in, in the spring and I still wasn't ready. Like the game was a little bit faster for me. Like there were some things I didn't learn in high school that a lot of people were in front of me on. And I wasn't ready to play. And I still played my first year. But if you ask me, I was like, yeah, I probably need a red shirt. Mm-hmm. But you don't have that many people die in a red shirt or, or, you know, because they look at it as a bad thing. And, and it's only natural. Like if you went to a job and they're like, hey, man, you just got to be an intern for a year and then we'll, you know, see about putting you on. You'd be kind of salty about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of it's just making sure you guys have that conversation as far as like and it. And it's, it's with recruiting and, you know, a lot of people are doing it. But. A lot of people are going to tell you what you think you want to hear in recruiting. Right. Because that's how it is. Just like, you know, a girl's going to tell, oh my God, you're so pretty. You have beautiful teeth. You're this, you're that. She's not going to tell you all the bad stuff about you. Or she's not going to tell you the other guy that she also told this stuff to. Right. Um, <laughs> but that's where it comes in as far as like, and that's why I like working for Coach Kelly because they're going to tell you, hey, we like you. We like your film. We think you could be a great player for our team. Um, and I don't think that we go out of our way too much to be like, hey, you'll come in and you'll play and you'll start for four years. Because you never know when people come in how they'll do, how they'll adjust. There's some people that did great in high school and they come to college and they get stuck on this thing called partying. Mm-hmm. You know, it's natural. <laughs> um, and, you know, there's other people that, you know, they're a little bit small in high school and coming in and being in the weight room for a year won't hurt them but only help them. So um, there's a lot of different situations that we run into. And, and for the most part, you just try to take it on each individual um, and just try to figure out, try to break it down and kind of see what the real root of the problem is and kind of how you can adjust to that and what you guys can do moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, man. I think um, I think one thing that's that's profound, which, which you said, when, one of the profound things you said right now was um, – basically you described like you have a goal you achieve it mm-hmm. right and then you get to this place and, and so frequently i think we forget to like reinvent ourselves mm-hmm. or to to sit back and be like okay who yeah decompress i made this i did it mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. now what yeah and it's um and it's something that i had to learn like mm-hmm. going through college and i know my my experience uh at oregon was completely different mm-hmm. than yours um but it grew me in ways that were like pivotal pivotal for for my my uh, my success now and you know that might be why um you know businesses like hiring athletes but Mm -hmm. um on that same note i mean what what are you looking for towards the future 
like you got this i mean you got this dream job i'm sure you know you're loving it right now man oh, yeah. I, I, visit, <laughs> I visit i visited the facilities a couple of weeks ago that thing mm-hmm. is a beautiful thing to yeah, sit in all definitely, day definitely. um what's drew davis got going on in the pipeline right now man man for a couple of years and even in college i always I, I always thought the end goal was a psychologist um mm-hmm. and i do think that and i do and i do work towards that um got to get a master's got to get a doctorate um but i always just felt like and i don't want to pigeonhole myself just in the athletes or the football Um, but I know like there's so many people in those realms that need the help that need somebody to talk to that they trust um, that looks like them you know what is it 70 80 percent NFLs African-American and there there aren't that many I haven't done the research but I know for sure there's maybe a handful of people that are psychologists that have played, you know, division one level and professionally, Right. you know, it can't be a lot. Not to say that, Hey, if you're a psychologist and you haven't played sports in high school or, co- or college and, and, or and professionally that you're not a good psychologist, but that's a kind of just, that sets you apart. Really. You know, you're not yeah. just talking like, you're not just, you're not just hearing about what they talk about and then giving them advice or, you know, giving feedback for them, but you've actually been through kind of the same stuff. Yeah. And so for me, I used to have a friend that played, I played with at the Atlanta Falcons, and he played uh, offensive tackle. He was uh, protecting Matt Ryan on his left side. And I'm talking to him one day, and I'm like, yeah, man, aren't you excited for the game? He's like, no. I'm like, why not? He's like, man, think about it. He's like, if I don't give up a sack, cool, you did your job. If I give up one sack, the rest of my day is fucked. And I was like, whoa, I never thought about it. Like, like even as a wide receiver, if I drop yeah. a pass, okay, cool, I'll drop that one. I'll get the next couple. Um, and he pretty much like, he's, he's a lot better now in life period, but, um, his whole thing was like, you know, a fear of failure, you know, coach Kelly talked about that, have a, have the desire to succeed and not the fear of failure. And if he was able to see somebody or talk to somebody and be able to be more relaxed and, you know, there's no one, he's still a great athlete and a great person, great dad, great husband. Um, but like, there are grown men running around with these kind of not I don't want to say insecurities, but with these things where, you know, everybody's like, man, you should be happy that you're playing in the NFL. And there's some people that are really miserable mm. um, because their job requires a whole lot and they get paid a lot of money to do this thing. And to be honest, if I'm playing left tackle, there's a lot of defensive ends that I'm not trying to block either. So <laughs> if we're going to be honest on that. Um, yeah. And so I just feel like there's a great need. Um, for more professional mental help. Yeah. Um, and and I've always been that person to give out advice and to try to figure out people and to help them the best way I could. Um, and so I just want to get paid heftily for that as well. <laughs> Sign them so, checks. Drew, I got, I got a question, man. Have you always been this articulate? Uh a little bit, yeah. Um, I was like I said, I was always one to watch and observe. Um, reading books really helped me. Uh, my early twenties. Um, I'm always that person. I will. I'm. I'm the uh, measure twice, cut once kind of guy. So if we're having a conversation about you know something that's I don't know, even though I don't like politics, let's just say politics. I'll kind of feel out everybody at the table. I'm kind of that person who's always thinking of, like you said, thinking of both sides of things, like we talked about earlier. Um, I'm not gonna be. I might be totally on one side, but I'm always gonna I'm always gonna be sympathetic or empathetic to what you're talking about as well. Um, but just being doing public speaking and when I talk about things that I'm passionate about, I think I get extra articulate, if you can say that. Mm-hmm. Nice. Well, first I have a follow up question. Do you feel like your measure twice then cut do you feel like that's held you back in certain areas or has it only been an advantage for you? 
I think it's been an advantage. I think depending on which way you look at it from, you could always say it. But I'm I'm just that type of person naturally. Like if somebody calls and offers me a job right now paying X amount of money, I'll think about it no matter what, and I'll weigh the pros and the cons, and I'll call you know my high school coach and tell him about it and ask him. Um, but I've always been that guy, and I'm real. I'm spontaneous in a way. Like if I'm just chilling at the house one day, I'm like, man, I'm gonna go walk at the beach, okay? But I'm real strategic and real planny with everything I do, um, and it's probably. And and it's funny, it's probably, you know, stopped me or held me back from a couple things, but my mind doesn't think like that. My mind thinks about, like, what was the smartest decision and what did your gut tell you to do? Um, my gut told me to go to Oregon over UCLA when I was choosing between colleges, you know, coming out of high school. Why? I don't know. Um, you know, Oregon, the game I went to, they got beat on by Arizona by, I don't know, 20-something, 30-something points. It was rainy. It was dreary. It was cold. Um but you know, you still went to Oregon, and I still, still went, to, went to Oregon. I still went to Oregon, you know, and 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 from that, I got you know, me and my coach sat down and talked about the pros and the cons. But from that, I got two Pac-12 champ or two Pac-10 championships. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I played back in the day. Um, two Pac-10 championships, a Rose Bowl berth, our first one since 1995, and mm-hmm. also our first national championship game. So. I have to. I've been always been wanting to trust my gut. It's got me this far, so I got to keep rolling with it. And you're at UCLA now, yeah, man. Life comes full circle. Man, isn't that crazy, man? How that works, bro. Yep. Um, something I wanted to go back to real quick because I'd like to pick your brain on this is um, mental health in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to hear your thoughts on what you think um, is going on out there because I think you would agree, or let me ask you if you would agree. Uh, that mental health is is starting to become more and more prevalent mm-hmm. in our generation mm-hmm. and indefinitely in the generations uh, that are coming after us. Mm-hmm. Um, I just like to get your take on it, man. Like, what do you see out there? How, what, what's your what's your feel on it? Um, my feel is, and I'll go ahead and do this disclaimer. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a, you know what I mean? Neither like, are we, but we talk about you know this what all the time. But man. I want to make sure, like, because I might say some things and people are like, that's not right. But I'm not claiming to be an expert in any of this. Yeah. Um, this is all just my personal feel of everything. Um, I do feel like mental health is becoming more of a thing. And, and I don't mean thing in a bad way. I just mean, like, it's becoming more prevalent where, um, you, people are being diagnosed with things. People are taking the time to figure out, hey, what's wrong with me? Um, it's always been a thing where men, uh, more so than anybody, aren't going to go see a doctor or go see somebody, you know. Um, and, you know, it's always been, hey, well, you know, I'm not going to go see a shrink. It's always been looked at as a negative thing as mm. far as, like, something's wrong with you. Um, at the same time, I think sometimes we over we overdiagnose ourselves, too. Um, when I hear, you know, uh, a high school kid talking about he's so stressed out. And, and you know what I mean? What the fuck you stressed out about? And I'm not, not trying to disrespect anybody or things like, see, this is where I have to cover both sides and everything. But you know what I mean? <laughs> when you're in high school, like, you're like, dude, you got, you know, you got your grades to worry about. You don't have any car payments, no cell phone payments. Right, you know what right. I mean? And so the whole thing that we've kind of, not going to say gave people a way out, but it's like sometimes we diagnose things and, and, and that's just life. Like, it's not really stress. That's just life. Mm-hmm. And that's just one example of it. But I also want to make sure that, you know, there are some people that, you know, do some things where they figure out, hey, I'm bipolar. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, definitely. No doubt. I think there's definitely that um, 
there's definitely those those clinical cases, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. undoubtedly, yeah. you know, if you need help, you need help. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and there's those cases for sure. But I think, I guess what I was alluding to was, um, I think more and more cases or more and more people are talking about like, oh, I'm depressed mm-hmm. or I have anxiety mm-hmm. issues. Mm-hmm. And there's this like theme that I'm seeing developing in the culture. And, and it, maybe it's just because I'm looking at it more tentatively now. Maybe mm-hmm. it's always been there or whatnot, but um, there's more of a, like, I want to, I want to get out of, I want to get out of jail quick card. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I want to put the blame on something. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest things that I've seen is that um, people don't take the time to be with themselves. Mm-hmm. Like it's a, it's a rarity now for, mm-hmm. for somebody to kind of like be okay with spending 15, 20 minutes with, with themselves. I mean, mm-hmm. especially with the social media yeah. and the TVs mm-hmm. and constantly being connected to devices and mm-hmm. stuff like I don't know how many of my close friends I could say, you know, like you said, you, you would be chilling at home at home and then decide to go take a walk on the beach. Like some people think that's weird, man. Yeah. And that resonates with me on another level. Like sometimes I just need to be alone because mm-hmm. I, I need to sort through some things for mm-hmm. myself. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't think people are being taught that or I, I think people are being distracted on a whole nother level. And uh they're not they're they don't have people there to make them realize like yo man you just why don't you just chill out take some take 15 you know mm-hmm. give me your phone go go chill out mm-hmm. think about some things you know yeah and so that i think that's what i was alluding okay. to more and you being with um you know all these players coming in and i mean what what years are they being born at now they were, how old are we bro <laughs> bro they coming up on i think mm-hmm. we have somebody 2000s now oh, so yeah oh my god so up on two, if i could tell you what type of music i was listening to in 2000 <laughs> uh, i totally understand what you're saying though and yeah. and we have to kind of start taking our time back a little bit um and i say that as far as like i ride the bus to work from here to work and back usually mm. and while i'm on the bus i do not allow myself to touch my phone like take out my phone Sometimes I'm listening to music or a podcast that's cool. Sometimes um, I have my book and I'm reading or a magazine. Sometimes I'm just on there and I'm just looking at everybody else. So there's times where I look up on the bus and I just count how many people are on their head down on their phone. Um, and, you know, it comes with the time. Um, I've always been super in tune with myself, like the time at Oregon. Um, I went through a small stint with depression when I tore my ACL and it was mm. raining every day. And I'm kind of like, man, I really don't like it here. Like, I don't like life here. Um, but that's when I got to know myself. Like right. I, that in Eugene is when I started going to the movies by myself, when yeah. I started going bowling by myself, when I started taking drives up to Portland um, and listening to my music by myself, turning my music off from time to time and listening and, sa- and hearing what a real car ride sounds like. Right. Um, we just have so many things that can distract us, and it's crazy that we have the most technology at our fingertips than we ever had. And I want to call us lazy, but I want to figure out a a more destructive word. Um, (laughs) But to the point where we can be (laughs) to the point where we can be chilling next to somebody and we'll maybe it's to create conversation, but we'll ask them a question that we can easily look up on our phone. Mm -hmm. And I and and it drives me crazy when people just like the most outlandish question and they think I know it. Um, But we got to start being able to take our time back. And, you know, whether that's where you're, whether you're out with your friends at dinner and you say, hey, everybody put your phone in the middle and let's talk. Mm-hmm. Some people look at you like, man, you're weird. You're so, yeah, okay. Yeah. But we're, we're worried about the people that even aren't with us. We're worried about showing our food to the people that aren't even out eating with us. 
Mm-hmm. And this is a this is a small psychology in me where I've been I try to find ways to figure out how to how to be comfortable being around people. Like I love being around people. Right. But my problem is when I'm around people and they're on their phone or they're like not there, that bothers me. Yeah, me too. And so I'd rather spend it with myself. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a problem. But it's you know, it's our own fault. You know, we've yeah. we've created all these things for ourselves. I have I have AirPods, I have an Apple Watch, I have a, a iPhone, whatever, X thousand nine hundred, yeah. whatever it and is. And it doesn't mean they're bad <laughs> things, right? Yeah. Like they're so the the utility of them is amazing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's just you got to put them in their place. And this is what I was thinking about because I took a two year like hiatus from yeah. from social media, man, yeah. and I needed it. And it's the best one of the best things I've ever done. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's just this idea of like, just like anything else in your life, you know, speaking of like guys, when you're a grown man, you need to learn how to put things in their place mm-hmm. or else they consume you. Yeah. And it's, you know, and you're dealing with guys who are getting into college and, and that's one of the transition phases for them is that they're mm-hmm. starting to experience a little bit of life, you yeah. know, at a very fast pace. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think that's part of the maturation process and it goes the same thing for social media. You, you put that shit in its place before it consumes you, you know yeah. what I mean? Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with that, bro. So, Drew, um, kind of digging into the little bit of psychologist in you, <laughs> as, as you're very observant, what do you think is the real urge for, <laughs> for uh, what do you think is the real urge for everyone to be on social media? To Why don't, why don't we all naturally want to be with the people we're around, and why are we seeking this comfort through technology, social media, things like that. It's, it's connected us to things and people we would never be connected to or with, you know, uh, you have a phone that's right in your hand. You can laugh. You, you can look at memes all day and you can get a laugh where usually you'd have to find that in your favorite comedy show or your favorite show or something like that. Um, you could follow your favorite rapper, your favorite actor. You can see where they're at right now. You can live vicariously through them for a little bit. Um, it's, it's a it's a getaway right in the palm of your hand while you can be sitting in the living room with absolutely nothing on doing nothing um and you're just able to to disconnect but the problem is we disconnect and we say disconnected and forget what we have um and i think that's the biggest problem is that we're just so like if if you ever having a conversation with somebody or you're never mind if you're having a if you're ever around I'm not trying to single you out, ladies. If you're ever around two women, just just listen to the conversation. I love how PC is, man. Just listen to the conversation. And most likely within that conversation, you'll see, oh, my God, did you see this? Did you see Did you see what such and such had? And it's something that they didn't even see in person. It's something that they saw through Facebook, through Instagram, oh through God, Twitter. Yeah. And it's like you, you're not even really there to see it. You just saw it because they posted it and you scrolled by it. So then you saw it like – that trips me out that we're so interested in stuff that we're so far away from. Right. And then people so, talk about it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like bro, bro, my sister, the other day, she was like, hey, you know, one of my friends from Utah. I was like, what friend from Utah do you have? She's like, well, she's a, she's a blogger and she's in Utah. I was like, she's not your friend. She's a, you're, you're her follower. Yes. And, but she's not your friend. Yes. Yeah, man. And it's, it's crazy. And that's what's scary is those worlds are getting blended together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, so it's a trip, man. It's definitely a trip. And 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 piggybacking off that a little bit. And now we've made fam- people who aren't famous. We've made them famous or celebrity. Oh. We've made them oh, like yeah. people that are running around doing jokes on people. Like, hey, that's such like our 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 heroes or our people that we look up to have been people that aren't really people to really look up to. Right. That makes sense. Right. 
They're just racking up the influencers. likes. Exactly, influencers. That's crazy, man. Yeah. So with that, how do you? What would you recommend people do to kind of take back the mentality of life is good and looking around at what they have and and being present? You know what? What you kind of said, like you know, put your phone down, things like that. But mm-hmm. um, can you speak on a few like concrete things, maybe that people could take and apply, or maybe things the things that you do? Okay, I actually uh, it's funny. Actually, my friend uh, Dustin Dustin Haynes, he's at Nebraska. Dustin, uh, um, he sent me this thing on NPR Brain, and it was uh, something about money or just something about status. Like if you're middle class. Um, you feel worse about your life when you look up to people that have more, people that are in a higher bracket than you. Um, when you look at people who have less than you, you're more appreciative of what you have. Mm. Um, and so that for me was like, you know, you know, when I'm walking by the street and I see, you know, a homeless person that's walking around with no shoes, I'm like, dang, you know, I got a whole bunch of shoes in my closet that I don't even wear. Um, but it brings me back down to reality a lot as far as like, I don't really... I don't really, uh, you know, I hang out with guys like Julio Jones. So for me, it's different because I've been in that world. Um, and so, you know, I've been next to Tony Gonzalez, you know, where other people who, if they see him, they're like, oh, my God, that's Tony Gonzalez. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of helped me, like, you know, you realize that these guys are real people. And so I know that celebrities are real people. And um, and it's funny, when you meet them and you treat them like real people, they're surprised because they're like, dang, this dude knows I'm a real person. <laughs> um, and so uh, with that being said, just as far as like we need to start comparing what we have or stop comparing what we have, honestly. But if we're going to compare what we have, we need to stop talking about what we don't have and talk about what we do have and how that makes our life great, our lives great. Um and stop trying to put a cap. We always put a ceiling on like, you know, I think one of the biggest thing is like, you know, when you're working a job, you have people like, man, I can't wait to make six figures. But you don't often hear somebody say, man, I can't wait to work a job where I'm happy. Mm. You know, and with wow. the hap- and with the yeah. happiness and with the happiness might come the money. But we're we see the end product. We see the end goal. And we're like, man, I want to make six figures and I don't care how I do it. And then you're making six figures and you're, you you hate your boss and you dislike everything about the place you work at, but you can't stop working there because there's not many other places you can get six figures. Um, so I don't have a, a, a concrete place where you can start, actually. Um, like I just said, but just taking your time back. Um, I try to make sure I read an hour a day. I don't always get an hour a day in. Um, but have those same, have that same energy, have that same kind of uh strive uh for things that you know a lot of people are like oh man i wish i had time to read you make time to read you yeah make time <laughs> for that, you know what i mean uh, granted the people that have kids out there and stuff like that but like i said i read 20 minutes on the bus 20 minutes back that gives me about 40 minutes a day and i can sneak another 20 minutes in sometime um but just a simple thing of me saying hey when every time i get on the bus i'm not touching my phone um but you have to stick to that like there's people that I hear my phone buzzing in my pocket when I'm on the phone, and I'm like, nope, can't touch it. <laughs> <laughs> and that helps me realize, like, man, I do have some power. I do have some onus. Um, anybody that's calling me, they can get called right back. It's not an emergency. Um, but that's just a small step for me, and that's something that, you know, you try to find small wins. Um, there's this article I read a long time ago in Psychology Today. It said, you know, you start with something small, like, you know, something very minuscule, and then you just start building off of that. Um, a lot of people try to just go cold turkey, like, hey, I'm going to save, you know, $10,000 this year and I'm going to save, you know, $1,000 a month. And it's cool, but you can start at $200, $200, $300, 300 $50 a year. Like, we, 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 we don't respect, like, the small amount. Like, 
Mm. I have so many people I take trips, and all my boys are like, man, are you going to Vegas? Man, I wish I can go. I'm like, you can if you save up. Nah, man, my money looking funny. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, man, I told you six months ago I was going to Vegas. If you saved up, you know, $50 a month. You could have had, I don't know what that is, my math is. If you had $100, six, so you had $300. Uh, <laughs> you could have had $300, you know what I mean? And and that's kind of a part of my makeup is that, you know, things that I want to make happen, I make happen. And uh, reading and putting my phone down was, that's probably why I don't have a girlfriend right now because there's times I'm like, I leave my phone at the house and I just go. And a lot of women ain't going to be down with that. And that's fine. Yeah. That's why I'm single right now. Uh-uh. But you, you have to know what works for you and, uh, and you won't know that until you do something and try it out. Yeah, man. I think that's uh, cool, man. I think going back to what you said about you know when you're talking to the kids about what their goals are, and 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 do your actions mimic, or do your actions make sense? Are they in line with the goals that you set forth for mm-hmm. yourself? And I think a lot of people don't realize like you're gonna hit a brick wall if you don't if you don't start taking on this perspective because mm-hmm. like like the high school guy who thinks he's stressed, right? Like, bro, wait till you're 28 with the kid and a mortgage. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, and so what, what I, I think I, what I want our listeners to realize is, like, taking the time to improve yourself mm-hmm. and to work on yourself is the best possible investment that you could ever make. Mm-hmm. And it's going to pay dividends, man. And I like agree. you said, it, it'll start incrementally, mm-hmm. right? Little by little. You read 15 minutes a day, whatever, man. Do it. Do it. Because then before you know it, you're going to actually dig the things you're reading. You're oh, going to yeah. be like, you know what? Oh, yeah. I'm actually going to read 30 minutes oh, yeah. today because this is getting good, you oh, know? Yeah. You know, you said start your day off with small victories. And what's, uh, I mean, I, I'm thinking of one Chip Kelly always said, but what's, do you have a small victory you start every day with? I'm trying to think. I wake up, brush my teeth. Like, I make, okay, this is, and this, uh, this is an affirmation. I wake up, I always make my bed every morning. Every morning I make my bed. Mm. That's, um, that's Chip Kelly stuff right there. We right? had, <laughs> we had it was uh, what was the name? Uh, Howard White, H White, mm-hmm. that came talk to us. Mandy, Mandy White's dad, who was the uh, VP of of Jordan Brand or whatever. And then uh, he, he asked us, you know, what's the first thing you guys do when you wake up? And some people are like, oh, I'll check my phone, turn off my alarm clock, brush my teeth. Da, da, da. He said the first thing you need to do when you make up, wake up, is make your bed. He said you're setting the stage or you're setting kind of the mode for the day by sitting by making your bed and you know he said that and i was kind of like okay you know i i liked everybody that chip used to bring in in college yeah. to come talk to us yeah. and speak to us um i try to take and that's and that's the thing about me i've always like i've always been one of those people that try to take even if the lecturer or the talker is boring like i'm trying to find one thing that i can take away that i can use in a conversation in a, everyday life or something like that and he said a lot of good stuff but he said, by making your bed, you, you're kind of just setting the stage for your day. Um, you're getting it off on the right foot. And so um, I tell kids when I go talk to them and everything, and ever since that day, every day I've woken up, I've made my bed. Um, when I was coaching at UCF, I was staying on Dustin's couch, and he gave me a pillow, blanket, all that stuff. Every morning I wake up, I fold it neatly, fold it over, put it on the couch, ready to go. Um, and I told our players that at UCF too, but it's it's helped me so much just because it's like that kind of, it's that meditative like just part of the day where you're just you're just it's on autopilot. You wake up, pillows fluff, uh, here here, put this. I'm not a wild sleeper, so my bed's pretty much already good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just feel so much better when I leave the house and when I come back to the house and I look at my bed, 
and it's made and you know there's not always no clothes on there uh but it might be a little messy but the bed is made and uh i'll tell you this since we're on the podcast so but so even in college like no matter you know what young lady i was courting at the time that was in my bed <laughs> i'd be like hey yo you know you got to get up real quick i gotta make my bed you know and so it's to, it got to the point where you know they they if we were getting up and we were leaving they would get up and they would help me make the bed before they you before they left or when they were getting back in yeah. so like you know what i mean and and that's the model of consistency i try to keep my life is real i like my life being really consistent and that's how i operate um i don't like rushing you'll never see me like if i don't have to rush i won't but i just like a model of consistency that's what keeps me calm that's what keeps me zen like that's what keeps me very even keeled like that whole thing so um just make your bed man just make your bed make your bed <laughs> i like that that's dope man that's what good. A, what about, let's uh, finally jump. Let's finally jump into the books. Man. Yeah, We've all been dying like, oh. to hear about these books. Okay. Yeah, man. What's uh? So, uh, first off, what, what's the number one book? Or like, give me your top three books. Ooh, man. I only yeah. got to give you two. Okay. I can give you three. I can give you three. Um. <laughs> uh, so number one book, Count of Monte Cristo by uh, Alexander Ooh. Dumas. <laughs> Love. Number two, uh, The Undisputed Truth, Mike Tyson. Um, that was a very, very good read uh, for that point in my life as well. And then number three, um, Michelle Obama's book that I just finished uh, at the end of March. Nice. Um, and I'll tell you a little story about uh, story about Count of Monte Cristo. Um, I saw how big the book was. It looks anybody see the book that I have is blue. Um, it has some gold pages. It's about a thousand and a hundred pages long. Um, I broke my foot and I had a Jones fracture my foot with Atlanta and uh, I bought the book at first. I was buying books. Cause I was like, you know, let me, let me, let me may help people think I'm smart when they walk in my house that I got books. You know I mean? <laughs> <laughs> let me make sure like I'm stunning on them with my books. Yeah. Um, and so I, the, the original reason I bought it was because, man, I need something real big on my bookshelf. I need something that makes me look real educated. <laughs> um, yeah, I, yeah. I want people to be amazed. I never really planned on reading it. I, I, I might have planned on getting around to it in a couple of years or something. But in my mind, I was like, man, a thousand, a thousand, a hundred page book. That's about like four books. Like it's like yeah. three or four Harry Potter books. Like if you want to <laughs> keep it a hundred. Um, and so I got that book. Then I broke my foot and I had surgery. And uh, and this is what I mean. Like I'm such a planner. Like um, I still had to go to meetings with Atlanta. But when they would go out on the field and practice, um, I told myself I'm going to read um, for those two and a half, three hours that they go to practice. So I'm going to open this book. I'm going to take myself into uh, one of these side rooms we had in our facility. I said, I'm going to read until practice is over. Um, and so uh, I did that. And I read it at home a little bit, too. But, like, I was focused on reading it while they were at practice to kind of help pass the time. And uh, and a whole month went by. I think the whole training camp, three weeks, three, four weeks went by. There was two, about two or three weeks of training camp, and I finished it at the end of the month. Um, but that is probably the the biggest, one of the biggest, like, personal achievements that I set out to do and I did and I conquered and I look back on it. I'm like, man, I read a thousand something page book and I understood it. <laughs> I knew who the characters were, you know, I had a character I liked that was a favorite. I followed the storyline. Um, and so it was something that I didn't plan on doing that I didn't think I would do. And then finally I just said, fuck it. I did it. And you know, it's, I probably won't, I'm not a person that reads books twice. I don't think I'll go back and read that book twice. <laughs> um, but to think that I actually read it 
and uh and i took the time to read for was probably like three hours a day you know which is a big big task and took a big chunk out of that book and read it um and watched both of the movies after um is a real personal achievement for me and and i'm just happy that i did it and i think that's why i'm so i think that's a little bit what got me in the books a little more like i was like shit if i read a thousand hundred page book these little 300 page books ain't doing enough for me i'll eat them up all day (laughs) um and so it's something i didn't expect to even like and i and i love the book and so that's why i speak so highly of it now it's beautifully written too it's one of steve's favorite books man it is it really is, man. I'm with you, man, on that. It's staring it down and being like, am I really going to do this? And, uh, but phenomenal story for sure. A lot mm-hmm. of things you can pull from it. Oh, yeah. But I, I, yeah, I, you make me question whether I was more proud of finishing it or uh, pumped with what I learned from it. I, uh, I don't know, you know? I, and I got you 100%, but that's just, man, it's, it's your own personal battle with it. But for me, I was just like, oh, fuck. Like, I was getting to the end. I was like, damn, I don't really want to finish this now. Like, so great milestone in my life. That's awesome. Oh, wow, that's so. And then uh, you talked about Mike Tyson's book. Mm-hmm. You said and, uh, you said it was, it was really appropriate for the time in your life. Yeah. Um, Talk to me about that. I just think, man, being, I was probably mid-20s when I read it. Um, and... And it's funny because people see Mike Tyson now and they're, you know, like I'm pretty, people know who he is, but people don't know who he is. Like, mm-hmm. and even I don't really like, I wasn't like the older people were ordering the fights and stuff like that, but I wasn't watching the fights. Bro, it's so funny <laughs> that you bring this up because my brother-in-law the other day, it was a couple of weeks ago, we started talking about boxing and we watched the Canelo fight this last weekend. And he was like, oh, you don't have, you have no idea. Like mm-hmm. you have no idea. Have you seen Mike Tyson on YouTube? Like go. So I've been like purging like this mike tyson youtube like just going on a you know binge and the dude was bad Mm -hmm. bad he was bad and the thing is when we go back and look at it like so as i'm reading this book like you know sometimes you're reading you're reading like you know you're reading count of monte cristo and you you read and you're not really thinking of how old the characters are like you're just reading Mm. and every time i'm reading this mike tyson book like i'm reading something i read something and then i have to double back and tell myself like this dude is 20 years old right here this dude is 22 years old right this dude is in the club at 19 with like eddie murphy and stuff like like you know what i mean like that's what was like he this dude is is riding in, he was one of the first people with, uh, I don't remember if it was a cell phone or a fax machine or a jacuzzi in a limo. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like <laughs> stuff that's like, you know, we hear about it now and because it's so prevalent, we're like, oh, but like this is in like the mid, what, early mid 90s yep. and stuff, you yep. know what I mean? And so just stuff like that, stuff like, you know, the girl, the women he was dating at the time, um, the stuff he was doing when he met a girl, he'd go buy her a Mercedes Benz or a Rolls Royce or something and then tell his assistant to go pick it up the next day. And this dude is like still a lot, like not to say like he's still alive now, but like he was he was at his I wouldn't even say peak, like early twenties, like this dude is getting paid a couple mil like Oh, he had the world in his hands at, at twenty, man. That's what it was. Yeah. Like the youngest heavyweight champion. And and people would order people would my brother-in-law was like, yo, man, you, you wanted to stop ordering the fights because you knew it was going to be over in the first round. Mm-hmm. Like, people did not last. And so I was like, no, nah, man. I, so when I checked it out on YouTube, you're just like, oh, my God. This dude's tearing people up. And even more so than that, like, I think about, you know, people are like, are you getting there for a million dollars? And people say, yeah. And I'm like, no. 
I wouldn't. I wouldn't even <laughs> like. I wouldn't. I wouldn't get nah. in the ring with him now. You know what I mean? We see him on Hangover, and we see him. You know. Uh, on Joe Rogan's podcast did, did you and stuff see, like that. I, there was an Instagram post that came out the other day. My, my brother-in-law sent this to me, too. He was like, dude, check this out. This dude's old. Mm-hmm. Watch his hands. Oh, yeah. It was still scary, bro. Yeah. I was just like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> and this is just a young, in that book, he's just a young dude trying to find his way. Not very much guidance. Um, still getting some good training, but just mm-hmm. doing pretty much doing whatever he wanted to do, being a rebel. So why was that so uh, prevalent for you at that time? Man, I just think because I didn't, like you said, because I didn't watch his fights, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's one of those things like who, like probably like, it's probably like getting how this generation is with like, you know, like where they're, the generation that forgot about, you know, between Mike and Kobe. Like I, I watch, like right now, like you got Mayweather that you watch and everybody talks about Mayweather's greatest fighter um, and that's fine and everything, but there's some people who haven't even seen Mike Tyson fight you know there's some mm-hmm. people who haven't even seen Jordan play there's some people that haven't seen Kobe play mm-hmm. and you know and as people get older all that stuff kind of gets washed out and uh just at that time I didn't know what type of money he was making I didn't know how good he was I didn't know all the trouble he was getting into mm-hmm. I didn't know like it was it was a really interesting read to where you finish one chapter you're like all right I'll read this chapter and then go to sleep and then you read that chapter and you're like all right one more chapter one more one more and then you read that one and you're like Man, I gotta know what happens in this next chapter. Uh, Let me go man. one more. I'm picking uh, it up. It was definitely a page turner, and uh, and and it's just you can hear his voice <laughs> in it, and I think that's what added to it. You can hear his dang voice yeah. in it for me. <laughs> and, <laughs> oh, and so I think that's why it was good for that time, man. It was just it it was just a book I flew through. I think that book's around like four hundred pages or so. How old were you when you read that? Uh, Probably like 20, 24, probably 24, 25. You see, and that's what's cool because anytime I meet somebody, uh, a young cat, and he's like, yo, man, I want to get into reading, uh, somebody once advised me, like, hey, read something that's a page turner first. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. get something that, that you want it, you can't put down. I agree. Because, uh, because then you'll develop the love for it, mm-hmm. and then you'll be able to read other things for yeah. other purposes. Yeah, I agree. Pick up that, a page turner, pick up somebody that you wanted to learn about. Yeah. Um, somebody that's mm-hmm. interested in that same career that you're going toward or something like that. Um, uh, a person, uh, got a lot of Malcolm Gladwell books, and uh, Malcolm Gladwell just does, gets with people, he doesn't really... Yeah, I forget what he like. He reports it, but he goes and gets the information from everybody mm-hmm. else. And so it's just all this weird stuff gumped together. Um, conversation, like I, I, I find myself throwing in stuff for conversation that he's written about or reported on and stuff, and be like, why the hell did I say that to this person? They looking at me like I'm crazy. But just a whole <laughs> bunch of just randomness that works. Yeah. Um, and I'll just put it like that. But I, I have all of his books and. And he's just awesome. So that's another one. Nice man. So Obama, uh, Michelle Obama's book. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to read that for uh, Women's Month, um, especially just because it just came out. Just ordered it, um, and it was just good. It's good. We always hear about Obama, um, President Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. Um, and don't want to say it like I like he the homie or something. <laughs> <laughs> the boy Barack. <laughs> um, but we always hear about him. But it was good to have this book by her. Um, to just see what it's like, you know, we and and not just because it's the the president's wife, but a lot of times in in our lives periods, our girlfriends or the woman gets overshadowed by the man a lot. Mm. Um, and she did some good things on her own as well. But I just didn't, I didn't know her. I, I know Barack's story front and back. Um, I didn't know hers. Mm. And and you know, and for having the first black president in the White House, um, having the first black first lady, 
first black, first last, mm-hmm. um, and it's just I just felt like it was my duty, um, and I and I actually I'll tell you guys this because um, I was actually kind of a, a little bit uh, embarrassed is the word I'll use, but I looked back as far as um, as far as like who I knew about. Um, and as far as like, I was like, man, I haven't done very much research on people that look like me or know their story front and back. And one of the biggest ones was, uh, Malcolm X. And I was, Mm -hmm. and I was very surprised at myself that I hadn't read the autobiography of Malcolm X, you know, at 30 years old. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and this is with, uh, I think I read that sometime last year, but, and it was just my own, like, again, my own personal goal, but I was just like, man, like I know he was born in Nebraska. Um, I knew how he got killed, but I didn't know any of the stuff in between the Muslim stuff. Like I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't uh, proficient in that. Mm. And so a big part of me was like, man, I gotta, I gotta pick up more books with people that look like me. Mm. And, uh, from that I did, uh, did Malcolm X, did a shot of Shakur, did a uh, Michelle Obama. Um, and actually I think last year I read 16 books this year. I have to read 20 and I've already read, I'm on my seventh right now. And so, nice, like, man. that's what I mean, like, personal growth. That's what I mean, like, like if you don't, like, I was mad that I didn't know this stuff, and now I'm like, all right, cool, Amazon, order all these Everything. books. <laughs> Get here in two days. Uh, and and that was a personal thing for me because I was like, man, I, I'm, I'm dealing with a lot of young black men, and yeah. I got to have something to point them towards. I got to have different stories to tell them. I got to have stuff like that. And so that's that was kind of a wake-up call for me as far as every time I'm at work, I try to, not that I'm purposefully carrying around a book, mm-hmm. but like I said, I'll get off the bus and walk into work and I have the book in my hand. Um, when we're getting on the plane uh, from the, the bus to the plane, or re- I'm always reading. I'm having something. And, and, and a lot of people, I've had four or five people come up to me like, hey, man, I need something to read. I'm like, all right, cool, I got you. Gotcha. Um, and mm-hmm. so indirectly you know I'm trying to affect them um, because just because me and what I started reading in college was just another personal like I was like man I don't read enough I need to start reading so hopefully I can be that thing that kind of helps push them towards reading um, just because I know I know they have a full schedule right now I know they have class I think that was one of the biggest things that I was in school I was like man I'm not trying to read no books and I gotta yeah. read for class like, yeah exactly um, no but, <laughs> but yeah. now like you said when you guys have something interesting or like you, you don't know how much 15 minutes 20 minutes like how much that helps you right um, you know and, uh, and especially I think once I got out of college I was like well, how else are you supposed to learn? Like, especially now we have Instagram, Twitter. You, you, you can learn a lot from Instagram and Twitter, but you realize like it's a lot of use, useless mm. stuff. I mean, I think the difference is you're you're being indoctrinated, not educated. Yeah, you're being told what to think, yeah. and not thinking for yourself. And yeah. I think that's man. If there's anything out there that that you want to like, like really promote is like do not be somebody who's being indoctrinated oh, yeah. like learn how to think for yourself mm-hmm. learn and do the research too. yeah man and, and and it starts with that it starts with picking up a book and, and doing it 15 minutes a day and then mm-hmm. you start learning how to like again be with yourself mm-hmm. think sort through those thoughts yeah that's dope man that's cool so what's uh what's what's the number one book you've you've given out <sighs> oh that's tough um it just varies on the person Oh, there's on the person. There's mm-hmm. not a top one. Nope, because I want to make sure, like you said, uh, one of the things you don't want to do, and and of course, and of course, you want to like I wouldn't give out the Count of Monte Cristo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yo, yo, man, read this. <laughs> that would destroy. You're not reading right now. Dude? Start on this. <laughs> Somebody <one>, <laughs> would get PTSD if they ever picked that up. They would never touch another book again. Um, and so you're just real selective based upon the person. Um, I'm trying to think about the books can't point to this one um i've given like i have eight books loaned out right now to my Mm. players um 
the Tony Dungy's book, uh, Quiet Strength, um, the Mike Tyson book, I Let Somebody Borrow, The Great Gatsby, I Let Somebody Borrow, uh, John Carlos's book, uh, Let Somebody Borrow, The Track Runner uh, from the 80s Olympics, somewhere in the 80s. Um, um, I <laughs> Mansa Musa uh, lent out that book, Small Little Read. 40, 50 pages just mm. to get somebody started. Um, but it just depends, man. Like, I, I try to, like, that's why I try to learn these guys really well. I try yeah. to, hey, what are you wagering in? What do you want to major in? What are you interested in? And then I kind of go off that. And so there's not just one book. Um, that's super cool that you tailor it to people, man. I got to, got to. Because yeah. you want to you wanna give them something, like, you want to turn them on to it. You want them to be like, and, you know, there's a difference between just handing somebody a book and saying, hey, I've had everybody read this that's coming here. And then handing them something like, hey, man, like, I think you really like this. Mm-hmm. And they they know, they can feel it. Yeah. It's like when you hear a song, you're like, yo, man, let me put you on this. I know you're going to vibe with it. <laughs> yep, precisely. Same thing, man. Cool. So how long how long are these books normally lent out for? Because sometimes, dude, I've got a book I borrowed from my uncle two years ago. I haven't opened it. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> See, and, and what's your success? If you're one of these players, get this book books. back. You know, we're waiting on you. And that's the problem right there. Because you don't want to, like, you know, when they're coming at you and they want to do something, you don't want to put a time limit on something. But at the same time, I know how easily you can lend something out and then automatically, you know, five years down the road, they just have a book that they don't know how they got. And yeah. you're kind of over here hurting for it. Um, but and it's funny because I try to harass them a little bit. Hey, did you start that book yet? Are you going to start? OK, if you're not going to start, give it back. Like I try to make sure like they know, like books are personal for me like i gave it to you like you know it's just like yeah. it's just like when you let somebody borrow a pair of shoes you're not really tripping but you're like man them is my shoes like yeah, yeah. those are my shoes yeah, yeah. it's like, that real <laughs> man it's that real and so uh you want them to like like i said they're in school um so like i try to give a couple out uh for winter break since we didn't have a bowl game and stuff um but you know they'll get to it at their at their pace but at the same time you gotta, you gotta do it. You're not gonna have my stuff for two years because by then you'll yeah. graduate and you'll be back at the house with my book. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna start making them sign a contract. But I have everything documented on who has what book when you I got a book club. Oh yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah, I'm like nice. a library over here, man. <laughs> start charging late fees pretty soon. <laughs> That's dope, man. That's dope. Hey, one thing that we always try to touch on because I'm just a personal believer that this is a huge part of life um, is a spiritual aspect of mm-hmm. things. Okay. Is uh, Drew Davis a spiritual dude? I am. I am. Uh, I think yoga helps bring that out. Um, but I've always been a believer in karma. Um, I've always been a believer in energy. Mm. Uh, you get back what you put out. Um, just like Coach Kelly said a long time ago, you get out You get out of it what you put into it. Mm-hmm. If you put in 0%, you get 0%. You put in 50%, you get back 50%. You put in 100 you get 100 Um and with that being said, just just spiritually, um, I just feel like we all we all have like a, a greater being, like uh, something, you know, like it's weird. I'll, if I'm at the bar or if I'm out somewhere and somebody like I can feel people's energy. I'm not claiming to be. Uh, that's real, man. I'm not claiming yeah. that like, hey, I can I know if you're a good person or a bad person, but. I can be at the bar or the club and I can be around somebody and I could be like, oh, no, I don't really trust this guy next to me. And he can start talking to me and I can be real short. I can be a real asshole sometimes. Uh, but just because my gut feeling or whatever it is, I'm like, man, I don't trust this dude. Right. And then there's sometimes I'm out and then I'm sitting next to somebody. I'm like, hey, man, you mind if I buy you a drink? Like, you know, like, I think I think I'm supposed to buy you a drink. Like, so here, you know, and then you might exchange numbers or something like that. But like, I really like, these people's auras or you know their energy their kinetic flow like all that stuff like i really feel like it permeates through the air 
and uh and I hope like I've had I'm always in weird situations like since I've been growing my hair my beard out I have random people come up and just <laughs> I have guys girls hey man your hair I want to tell you rocking it real well young black king keep doing your thing you're like all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> and so you know I try to get that energy and put it back out and because as human beings we don't we always quick to be like, man, I really like his shoes. Okay, that's all that's going to go. Like, you don't, hey, man, hey, bro, I really like your shoes. You really like, we don't really tell people that stuff enough. Hey, man, I like your jacket. I like your blazer. You're looking real good. Like, we're always real secretive about stuff. Um, for what reason, I don't know. But you never know what that's going to do for somebody's day. You never know what that's going to do for them. Yeah. Um, you never know what they're going through. Um, but I'm just a real, this is weird. Like, I'm real real picky real finicky on who i tell stuff but if i see somebody doing something that i like if i see something that makes me smile i make sure people see me smiling about it like life is good man that's good man that's awesome that's dope that's dope man i like it um that energy talk man it's real it's definitely real i i i experience the same thing you you can i think i'm a good judge of character and mm -hmm. uh like, you know, good people recognize good people. Mm -hmm. And so you, you start getting these uh, these vibes real quick. And, and I think it's definitely connected spiritually, man. Yeah, there, There's no other place where that comes from. Yeah, but, the uh, more that you spend time with yourself introspectively and reflecting on things and learning and growing, I think your, your perception of that heightens and you're able to sense it more. So it really, I mean, there's so many ways that personal development and just education and things further... Your, it just enhances your life, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So that's yeah, good, man. Hey, this has been fun, man. I hope you have fun. I had an awesome time. You guys got me talking way more than yeah. I talked. So. <laughs> I, I saw a couple of times you were feeling it yourself, man. Now, yeah. now I got to go be quiet for about two, three weeks and then I'll be ready to, to come out and talk a little Store more. Store it up, man. We'll do another <laughs> one, man. Get it all out of you. Yeah, man. That's awesome. I appreciate you guys. Hey, bro, you you uh, you definitely represent the model of good company that we're, we're looking for. That's and awesome. And, uh, you know, I thank you for your time again. And, and uh, I look forward to having you back on in the future because we're going to be tabling all kinds of different discussions. Okay. Okay. We we got to get we got to we got to get DJ Freud out here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with it. Yeah, man. So, uh, dude, thank you again for sharing and spending some time with us. Uh, always in good company, man. Thank you, guys. Life is good, man. I'm I'm take that from you. I like that. Life oh, is good. good. It's for everybody. Keep sharing it. That's cool, man. Okay, cool. We done. It's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs>